0: So there was this guy that was, he didn't have work and he was looking for a job and he saw an ad in the paper that said salesman Bible salesman job available. Now this guy had a problem with stuttering and so he wasn't sure how he's going to do, but he went to the manager of the place and said, I'd like to sell Bibles. Well, he didn't say it that way. He said, I, 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 I I, I'd li- 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 like to s- 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 sell, sell b- b- Bibles. And, of course, you know what the managers thinking. How on earth could this be? And he said, are you sure? He said, okay, well, let me give you a case of Bibles. You take it and sell, it, sell that case of Bibles. There was 24 in a, in a case. You sell those Bibles and then come back to me when you're done and we'll see about giving you a job. And so he's thinking, you know, this guy will come back in three or four weeks. Well, the guy came back the next day. I I I I I it's, it's, it's sold the b- b- Bibles. May, uh, may, may I have a job? The guy said, Oh wow. This is you sold 24 f- Bibles in one day? Y- yeah, yes, sir. He says, Well, let's try this again. How about I give you three cases of Bibles and you go sell them, and you sell them, and you come back, and we'll see about giving you jobs? So he gave him three cases of Bibles, and he went away, and he came back the very next day. He said, "I sold so the Bibles. May I have a job?" And
1: the guy said, "Wow."
0: I got to see what you're doing. So he said, let me go, let me take some. We'll take some and I want to go see what you're doing. So he took, took the Bibles, gave it to the gentleman. They rode along, went up to the first house and they walked up to the door and, and they rang the doorbell and the person came out and the Bible salesman says, hi, hi, hi My, my, name is Tim. Would you, would you li- like to buy a Bible or would you li- like me to read it to you? Okay, that's nothing against people that started, but, well, maybe it is. But anyway, um, we just finished the book of Genesis. We've gone through lessons in the book of Genesis. And I said that because I want you to know that if you are following along in the one year Bible, we, we encourage you to do that. Um, you don't want me to read it to you. But anyway, we're, we just finished, I don't know how many weeks it's been, like eternity, that we were going through the book of Genesis. Now we're starting in the book of Exodus. And I was telling somebody this morning, there's 66 books in the Bible. At this rate, I will be here till I'm 120, I think, something like that. Anyway, so um, here's what I want you to know about this morning's message. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to say. And sin will cost you far more. Then you want to pay. We're going to be looking at prisoners in paradise, the first message in the book of Exodus, and I believe Joanne's reading uh, from Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 14.
1: Uh, the Israelites oppressed. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all of that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly.
0: So here it is. Sin is a place you can go. It's not just an action or an occurrence. It is a conscious journey you make, and it doesn't take long to arrive at the place of sin. Sin is a place in your mind. It is an attitude of rebellion and an overthrow of authority. It is almost often because it becomes a place of slavery. Sin controls us. That's why Romans talks about the sin being so hard to beat. In in Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about it. I don't want to do it, but I still do it even though I don't really want to. Thank goodness the lockdown can be lifted and the chains can be broken. And thank God that the place of sin is also a place that you can leave. The prodigal son went off to a far country. For him, sin was a place. The story that Jesus tells us says that the prodigal son went to a place far away from his father's existence and his father's place of authority. Young people have a way of doing that. They don't want to live under their father's authority anymore, so they leave. And this young man wallowed in the mud a good while before he came to his own senses and observed that he was living in this squalor, and he decided to leave that country, that place of sin. Egypt in the Bible is a picture for the world. It is a picture of the place of sin. Egypt in the Bible refers, we referred to it as the slavery of sin that goes on in Egypt. Egypt in the Bible is a very far off place. Whenever it is spoken of, it is a place that people go to for a very short time. The Bible tells about people who are sojourning into Egypt. Sojourning is not just a temporary visit. Abraham left God's promised land and sojourned in Egypt when famine came. He didn't plan on staying there. When you, go, when you went and sojourned in a place, you were going there for a short time until you could come back. But while in the place of sin, Abraham lied about his wife and got into trouble. Joseph took Mary and the baby Jesus into Egypt for a short time from the trouble at home. There was no intention on Joseph's part for his family to stay and take up residence in Egypt. They were sojourning there for a short time. The addict never plans to be addicted. The addict never plans to go into an addiction for a lifetime, a short journey into this feel good Place can trap the person into an addiction that they can't get out on their own. No one plans on going into sin permanently. Nobody plans and says, I'm going to leave God and I'm going to go and sin the rest of my life. But like an old song says, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay. A wealthy couple wanted to hire hire a chauffeur, wanted a chauffeur to drive them around in their limousine, which was parked in a very tight and narrow garage. They had a fear that someday their limo would be scratched down one side by an unskilled, uncaring driver. So they were careful in their selection. They interviewed three men for the job as a chauffeur. The wife asked the first man, how close would you be able to drive my car to the edge of the entrance without scratching it? He says proudly, he says, oh, ma'am. He says, I can keep it within four inches. She asked the same man, the second man, the same question. And he replied, ma'am, I could do better than that first one. I could come within one inch of the side of your garage. The third one had a completely different outlook, though. He said, honestly, ma'am, I think it's better to play it safe. If I were your driver, I'd stay as far away from that wall as I possibly could. You're hired. Flirting with sin may lead to a committed relationship. It's not what how close we can walk the line. It's best thing is to stay as far away as we can get from sin. Salvation for some people is walking up to that threshold of sin and trying to walk the line where you know that sin is on one side and salvation is on the other. Just walk as close as you can to sin, even kind of hanging your foot over the edge and, and just seeing how close we can get it to it. But the true reaction and the true uh, what we should be doing about sin is we should be staying as far away from it as we possibly can. We talked about this in a message a few weeks ago about fleeing from temptation. Just stay away from those areas and those things and those people that cause cause you to walk into temptation and sin. The Apostle Paul says to flee temptation, as I said earlier, like the robot, as I talked about in the old TV show, uh, Lost in Space. You see, our censures should go up and we should be waving our arms and going, danger, danger, danger. We should know when those situations come that we need to stay as far away from that trouble as possible. The book of Exodus is about a life of slavery and then redemption and freedom. It's kind of a microcosm and a foretelling of the story of mankind throughout history. Man was created in the image of God. Man became, in, became a child of God in fellowship with God. They were called the chosen people a holy nation, a royal people belonging to God. But man walked away because he was looking for other comfort and fell into a life and attitude of sin. As we'll be seeing in the next several messages, we'll find out how the the Israelites started out in this land of promise of Egypt. They went there to get away from the famine. And the Pharaoh gave them a land that they could, they could, uh, raise their own livestock on. And then he said, listen, I'll let you take care of mine too. And after a while, after many generations, they subtly gave into a land of comfort and complacency and then slavery was put on them. But God has been on a mission since the fall of man to restore man to the image of God and to a renewed fellowship with God. So let's begin in our look at the book of Genesis, or excuse me, Exodus. I almost went backwards 50 weeks. Anyway, by looking at the people of God and the predicament of God's people. First of all, we see the designation of God's people, their identity. This book of redemption and Freedom begins with the Lord naming names. Why is this important? Further, why are there just nine long chapters of First Chronicles that list a bunch of names? He begat him, and he lived so long, and then he begat this many, and and he they begat this many, and they begat this, and they lived this long. <sighs> yeah, how many, when you've gotten to that part of your Bible, just kind of skip those things, you know? After reading that rat-a-tat of those lists of names, it almost sounds like a begatling gun. <laughs> anyway, be honest. How many of you have skipped those chapters? Yeah, yeah. It's like, why are we reading those? Well, you'll see as you do read those, some of the names that pop out that are names that are significant. Isn't it such a pleasure <laughs> to read about the begats and the begotten why is that important well first of all it's a good reminder that you live and then you die so make the most of your time do your living while you're living the list of jacob's family is a reminder that the story became begins and ends with god's chosen people these were god's people that god had had a covenant with abraham isaac and then jacob he said, I will bless you and I'll make you blessing to all nations. He had this covenant. And here now they are the Israelite people, Jacob's family, that are having to leave the promised land, this land of Canaan, and go down into Egypt, a not-so-promised land, because they were without food. And yet they went. You know, more importantly, list is, a list of names is important when your name is on it. I like to, I don't do as good a job as as I used to, but in my old age, it's not quite as easy. But I like to remember people's faces and names because the most important word to anybody's ears is their own name. And so that list of names is important, especially when our name is on it. So that what's salvation all about? It's about having your name written in heaven in the Lamb's book of life. We are God's chosen people. It's our identity. Second, we see that it's our security. Joseph was their security. Joseph, the one that they sold into slavery, the one who had the vision that they would all worship him or fall down before him, the one who they had kicked away, the one who they had wanted to kill but didn't, had gone on ahead of them to prepare the way for them. Because of the treachery of his brothers, he'd been sold off and he preceded them into Egypt. Even though he may not have realized it immediately, God had allowed Joseph to be carried off into slavery in Egypt for such a time as this to prepare the way for God's people to come into that land of security. Joseph is kind of an Old Testament picture of, the Jesus, of, the, of Jesus Christ. He's gone on before us and paved the way for us to come to him. And rest, not in a land of slavery, not in a land of sin, but a land of eternal life. I don't have to pay for my sins, because Jesus has already done that. I don't have I don't have to wallow in my sin because Jesus has already paid it, paid the way and gotten me out of it. I will one day overcome death because Jesus has done that already. I will walk on streets of gold in heaven so pure, according to scripture, streets of gold so pure that they look like glass. Because Jesus is already there. Spiritually seeking, we are secure. But on a human level, Joseph died according to verse 8 in our passage, and eventually his their security diminished. The basis of their blessing was gone. Humanly speaking, on a national level, when the Christian nation, this Christian nation, our Christian nation, threw Christ out, we threw out our blessing. When America threw out the basis of its blessings, it threw out the blessing as well. And when we decided to expel Jesus from the public arena, we threw out our blessing. In nineteen sixty one, public prayer, public and audible prayer, was banned from public schools. In the next year, the Bible was expelled. By nineteen eighty, the Supreme Court was ruling it unlawful to post the Ten Commandments on the walls, and you've got you got to hear you have to hear the wording of their decision. This is the Supreme Court in nineteen eighty. It says, if the posted copies of the Ten Commandments are to have any effect at all, it will be to induce the school children to read, meditate upon, perhaps to venerate and even obey the commandments. Heaven forbid That if we're allowed to see the Ten Commandments, it might cause somebody to get the crazy idea that we should obey them. And so the greatest amount of killings seems to be that happen each year, happen in schools and public places. When you throw out the basic basis of this blessing, you throw out the blessing itself. And then too, we see that Uh, we look at the designation of God's people and their prosperity. Prosperity can be a deceptive thing. There is a great difference between physical prosperity and spiritual prosperity. For the children of Israel in this paradise of Egypt with vast pasture lands and flowing water and fertile fields, they became visitors. They came to live, live in Egypt to escape the famine, but they settled down for comfort and complacency And comfort breeds lack of attention, which lack of attention also subtly slavery slips in, the subtle subservience of slavery. Chapter 20 in Exodus refers to Egypt as the house of bondage. It is possible to have everything imaginable, but lack of joy. Things do not uh, satisfy us it is possible to have gold but not have God you can have silver but not have a savior you can come to a place like Elvis did just before he died and well yes believe me he's not here anymore if you're still wondering that but anyway before he died he came to a place where this guy who seemingly had everything said I suppose I'm the most miserable man alive now so we see the designation of God's people. Then we also look at, um, well, that's not in my notes. <laughs> okay, this is temptation anyway. Uh, you see James chapter one, verses 14 and 15, but each people is are tempted when, when they are easily dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin is full grown in them. But we look at the domination of, Thank you. Domination of God's people. First is the bondage of sin. This new pharaoh is a picture of Satan, the toughest taskmaster you'll ever have. He's shrewd and such a deceiver. Verse 10 shows this clearly. He said, let us deal wisely with them, meaning shrewdly. And so the bondage of slavery to sin is a subtle enemy. It attracts us by the pleasantries of life and slowly sinks its claws into us to control us and take us to our death. You understand this. You know that the subtlety of sin can take over us. We don't think we're doing anything wrong. We're just having a little pleasure in life. One joint is not going to hurt us. One pill is not going to cause problems might give us a good feeling, but then we get to know that after time, those things take control. Years ago, in a harvest field, a spider crawled along, minding his own business. A grasshopper came by and extended one of his feelers as if to shake hands. The spider reached out a leg, quick as a flash, attaching one strand of web to the grasshopper. Instead of hopping away as he easily could have, the grasshopper stayed and the spider attached another strand. The grasshopper pulled against the web a little and saw that it was not strong enough to hold him and so he thought, I can stay here a while. The process continued and the grasshopper seemed totally oblivious to the fact that he was getting into trouble until eventually when he decided to jump away, he realized that it couldn't. It was then that the spider turned his green friend over and had him for lunch. There's pleasure in sin for a while. Like the moth to the flame, like a bug to the zapper, like an insect to flypaper, saying, I want to taste that sweet honey, then we realize we're stuck. You think you can have it a little sin and then you realize the sin has you, as I had on there earlier. James chapter one, verse 14 and 15 says, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. What that saying is, thoughts produce feelings, feelings produce actions, Actions have consequences. No, none of, none of us take any actions until we are thinking about it. Something, an idea comes into our head as we're looking at it. And then we look at that idea and we think, that's a really good idea. That's the emotion, feelings. That's a really good idea. I'd really like to taste that. Oh, the subtlety of slavery to Rice Krispie Treats but our mind says that looks so good. I think I want to taste it. So then we take the action of eating that piece of sin. And we think, wow, then we have the consequences, but that's the way it is with sin in our lives. We think about things. It's also the, the way we can do with good things. Philippians 4, 8 says, whatsoever things are pure, lovely, uh, admirable. Think on these things. When we think on those things, our mind begins to work with emotions and then we take actions on goodly things. So the second thing and there is the burden of sin. There's no greater burden than the burden of sin and no greater blessing than having that burden lifted. An old black man in the south walked along a road carrying a heavy sack of potatoes. He had recently been saved and was telling everyone about it. But the local atheist didn't believe it and approached him along the road one day asking, how can you know you are saved? Nobody can really know such a thing. The man, the black man threw the, down the sack of potatoes, looked up in the man's eyes and said, how do I know that I'm not carrying the potatoes anymore? I'm not looking at them. The atheist says, well, it's easy It's because you don't feel the weight of them anymore. Blackman said, that's exactly how I know that I'm saved and no longer feel the burden of my sin. Rolled away, rolled away. All my sins have been rolled away. The Old Testament has three Hebrew words which are translated to forgive. One means to send away, one means to cover over, and one means to lift away. That's the meaning in Psalm chapter 32, verse 5, where it says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Rolled away, rolled away, rolled away. All the burdens of my heart are rolled away. Matthew chapter eleven, verses twenty eight to thirty says this Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean if you're if you're a farmer who's ever had oxen, you know what a yoke is. A yoke is where it's a piece of wood that you put over the backs, the shoulders of of oxen, and you usually use it to teach a younger ox how to tread in the fields. And you would yoke it to a stronger, older ox on one side and the younger one on the other, and the younger one can't do anything but follow the older one and learn how to do it. That's why Jesus says, my yoke is easy because I'm taking all the weight. I've done it all for you. The bondage of sin, the burden of sin, and now we look at the bitterness of sin. It may be fun for a while, but it always ends badly and with regret. Proverbs chapter twenty, or excuse me, 9, verses 17 and 18 says, Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. <laughs> Boy, I didn't have this in here, but it just reminds me of all the times I've hidden little snacks and stuff away from Nancy. But anyway, food eaten in secret is delicious, but little do they know that the dead are there and her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 17, food gained by fraud tastes sweet, but one ends up with a mouthful of grace. That prodigal son no doubt had a good time living for a while with the money and friends, but eventually he woke up hung over, and when he rolled over, he was staring a pig right in the face. A Memphis article told of a man who found a little baby rattlesnake just after it had been hatched, and he made a pet of it. He handled it so much that it became tame, and as as it grew, it would actually coil around his arm and allow the man to feed it with his fingers. He even trained it to come when he whistled. One day he was uptown showing off his pet and all were amazed. But that evening he went home and with only the slightest of provocation, the animal instinct returned to that creature and it did what that animal always does. It buried its fangs in his arm and the man died. There are similar experiences coming to some of those who think they can make a pet out of sin. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 32 says, in the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. You wake up sick and miserable and staring a pig right in the face. And you wonder how on earth did I get here? When you're sick and tired of your sin, you are a perfect candidate for Christ's grace. In the early 1900s, a young man in Ohio told his girl he loved her and asked her to marry him. She declined. So in a vengeful act, he killed her. He was convicted of murder and sent to the state penitentiary. His mother pleaded with Governor Nash at that time with such urgency that he agreed to interview the murderer for a chance of a pardon. The warden let the governor into the man's cell but didn't announce his coming. Young man mistook the governor all dressed up for a preacher. He told him to get out of his face. Man said, don't you want to know why I'm here? Young man shouted out, no, get the H out of here. And so the governor quietly walked away. The warden retired a few minutes later, asked, what did the governor say? The governor? Yeah, that was governor Nash. Man realized his mistake. Call him back in her right away. But it was too late. The prisoner warden said, it's too late, you fool. You just threw away your only chance to gain freedom. And he was never freed from the bondage of his sin. Under the burden of sin, you will find only bitterness. In such bondage, you have only one hope, and that is that a deliverer will come your way. And so the third thing we look at is the deliverance of God's people. And as we'll see in our study, as we go through the book of Exodus, God has deliverance for his people as well, even in the Old Testament. It, Moses became that one. who was sent to deliver God's people from slavery when God heard their cries. In much the same way, Jesus is our deliverer. When God saw his children in the slavery of sin, and when his children cry out to him, God sent a savior. He sent a deliverer. Jesus became that perfect lamb of sacrifice whose blood has washed away our sin. God wants to deliver us from the overpowering bondage. He wants to free us from the slavery of sin. Sin no longer has the ability to reign over us when we are living in the the spirit of Christ. And God can rescue you from your prison. And take you to his promised land. And that promised land of life is not only there, but it's here, living in the kingdom of God. Serving him. Fellowshiping with him and with others. And being the glory of God. But we must acknowledge our sinfulness and confess it to God and as necessary, We need to confess it to others. We must accept the forgiveness and deliverance that comes from the blood of Christ and we must receive the new life that comes in Christ, the Redeemer. If you are watching on Facebook or on television or live streaming or here in person, if you would like to pray about this, give me a call. We'd like to help you find that grace that comes only through the blood of Christ, that deliver us, delivers us out of the slavery to sin. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your stories that you give us in Scripture that really just paint a picture of the relationship that you have with us. You created us in your own image, and you desire for us to live as your children. And so, Father, I ask that you would help us that would walk back to you. No, we would run back to you as the prodigal son did. And you would run to us as the father did and envelop us in your arms and give us the glory of your presence forever. In Jesus' name, amen.